everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 podcast. A really cool special episode, and we've been trying to do something with this band uh, with one of our top fives for a long time, and uh, the opportunity has finally uh, risen for us to do it. It's really exciting. Um, first, I want to welcome uh, my colleague on all of these, Mr. Jeff Bailey. Thanks uh, for being here again, Jeff. Hi. Hi, Roy. Nice background, which I think is a big hint. Obviously, the person underneath us, if this is how it looks when as we're recording, is another <laughs> big hint. Uh, I want to welcome Mark Kelly, keyboardist for Marillion. Hi. And by the way, I'm I'm at the side and so are you and Jeff's at the bottom on my screen. But That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, listen, man, it's a, a real honor and pleasure to have you here and a lot of cool stuff to talk about. And we're going to get into some great music with uh, the Marillion catalog and all these different songs that we're going to talk about. Um, but of course, the big news, if uh, some people aren't aware, is that you have a solo project uh, album coming out uh, called uh, Marathon or Mark Kelly's Marathon, which we'll get into. And that comes out November 27th. And um, it's great. Uh, we've both had a chance to listen to it. It is awesome. It's really, really cool stuff. Super proggy. The whole thing everybody that, that likes your music is going to love. Um, let's jump into that. I want to ask you about that record. Just What's the quick story behind it? Is this a COVID-related thing? You had time now, or was it was it in the works for a while, or, or what happened there? You're answering all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think some people would say finally. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Stephen Wilson said finally. Um, he, um, I, years and years ago, probably 25 years ago, I approached him about maybe doing some sort of collaboration, working with me. It was around about the time of the sky moves sideways, the Porcupine oh, Maybe after that, but um, and I said, oh, you know, and I, and I gave him a, a tape, you know, back in those days we had tapes, you know, <laughs> and never heard from him again. And I thought, okay, probably didn't like it, but you know, um, and then I I approached him about mixing this record, but he was really busy, so he was he he graciously declined, but he did say to me, "Is this that solo album that you started working on?" <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, oh, God, you remember that? Oh, God. So, um, That's funny. Yeah, so it was it was COVID related in the sense that um, I'd started, actually started it probably three or four years ago. And the catalyst for me finally doing it was me realizing that, one, I didn't really want to do a solo album. I didn't want it to be just me. Um, I made a few false starts on that and, you know, just working on your own. I don't know how other people can do it because I very quickly get bored with what I'm doing. If it's just me, there's nobody to bounce off. You know, you might love something one day and two or three weeks later, you just had enough. But if you're working with other people, somebody's going to be going, come on, let's get on with this. You know, what about that great idea we had, you know? Right. So, and, and that's sort of what happened. A friend of mine, Guy Vickers, his name is, um, suggested that he could try and maybe write some lyrics for me. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, so he wrote some lyrics and I sent, I gave him some music. Didn't really come to anything, but then about a year later I said, what about, I've got some some of these old old Marillion jams, things that I've written that I've come up with in, in the Marillion environment where it's keyboard based stuff that, um, that we never did anything with. And we've got like 10 years worth of jams. There's probably 1500 different things that we've never used. And so that became the basis of the song Amelia. Um, and he wrote the lyric and said, well, I've got this idea for a lyric about Amelia Earhart. And 
I like the sound of it. I like this idea of having songs that tell stories and have, you know, cover a bit more than this, just the, the, you know, the really sort of basic stuff that most songs are about. Um, and then he said, I want to write a song about, you know, the, the sort of, about the relationship between Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. And I'm like, okay. He said, mm -hmm. but, you know, and, and that sort of was the starting point for 2051. Um, so we, we got off to a good start with basically me sharing bits of music with him and him writing the lyrics. And then um, about a year went by, I had to try and, I, I realized I needed a singer and, and it took me a while to find somebody because I knew the sort of voice I wanted. Um, and I suppose the, the most, the, the nearest sounding voice, somebody that sounds like Peter Gabriel. And that's pretty much what I said in an interview that I did for the UK web, web magazine, which is the sort of Meridian fanzine. Uh, knowing or expecting that somebody would read it and and call me up, you know, just you know, on the, <laughs> and that's pretty much what happened. A friend of mine who read it said, "I know just the guy. He sounds like Peter Gabriel." And uh, I didn't want somebody who sounded exactly like Peter Gabriel, but I wanted that quality to the voice. Um, yeah. And Ollie Ollie Smith, who ended up being the singer, has got that. And and not not only that, but when he took away the words and the music for Amelia came back with the vocal melodies and harmonies and you know a lot of what you hear on that final version is pretty much what he sung as a audition if you like you know so I was like wow this goes great and and then it was you know it was really um, a case of just getting the stuff written I got you know enlisted the help of my nephew Connell he's 23 he's a bit of a multi-instrumentalist so he was really useful because it would just be the two of us working on the music Ollie doing the vocals guy writing the lyrics so we had a little thing that we got most of it sort of demoed and then my plan was to go in the studio and and record it at the Marillion studio and we actually did a couple of days demoing there but then lockdown happened and I and I was like it's like what always happens with things that aren't urgent you tend to put them to the back of the queue the Marillion album was being we just started working on that at the beginning of this right. year and um and then March came lockdown and suddenly we were all sent home you know there was no Marillion action and then I said to the rest of the guys and by then I found a guitar player and um, actually two guitar players and then um, I said to them why don't we try and record it at home everybody can record their parts I know a drummer Henry Rogers who plays with a few prog bands um, he's got his own studio um, so that was how it came about I worked with Henry probably in 2012 on, a, on an album by a band called The Exodus um, and Henry was a drummer and I played keyboards on it. So that's how I knew him. So that was it. And then, then we were off and recording by, by the end of July, we pretty much had an album recorded. But before, whenever the, the first track came out, the first time I saw it in social media, someone had commented below it. The singer sounds like Peter Gabriel. Yeah. I, I thought, think my, good, <laughs> my, my goodness, after, after, after years of having, trying to escape from <laughs> being called a band of Genesis soundalikes. That must be the most annoying comment to read, <laughs> but, it, but it's amazing to think that actually that was, that was deliberate. But sorry, yeah. se serious question is, do, do you think that, uh, is there anything in this album, I hear a number of things that probably I don't normally hear in Marillion album, or that were there kind of musical itches that you particularly wanted to scratch? when you were doing this? There was one or two, I have to say, and um, I'm not scared of prog, you know. I think there's a, there's a 
there's two things going on in, in Marillion where there was a definite backlash against the whole prog label because of the, the negative connotations that were attached to it, especially in the 80s and the 90s. And I think that's pretty much gone now for us. You know, we, 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 we do long sort of progressive type songs. You know, the last album had a bunch of long tracks on it that were quite involved and very, what, what I would call episodic pieces of music that, you know, right. they just go from one section to the next and don't repeat in a verse chorus sort of way. Um, but I think um, I wanted to do something that was a bit nostalgic, really, I suppose. I wanted it to be a vinyl album. So I set a time limit of 45, 46 minutes because it was going to go on vinyl. I wanted it to have two sides. I wanted it to have a gatefold sleeve and artwork that had all those details that you, that I used to love looking at when when I was a teenager, you know, and you, you'd listen to the music and you'd immerse yourself in the the, the cover and the, the, you know, the whole experience. And so that was my my aim really. And so in that sense, I was scratching an itch that it was like, I, I was doing a bit of a, and you know, just basically doing what I wanted to do. And, and I suppose I've got to an age where I stopped worrying about what people think about it in that sense of trying to second guess, oh, well, people think this is really uncool. I'm like, I'm gonna do a mini move solo, fuck it, you know? Sorry. Yeah, definitely, story. yeah. You've heard <laughs> the right by now. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm... isn't that a lot of, of what Marillion's success really is based on, right? I mean, in the mid nineties where you had that sort of pressure of, of trying the right hits and you guys rebelled against it and absolutely, you know, re you release something like brave and then that's, you know, people love it. And then you're like, okay, we're going to just going to do what we do. Yeah. But there's also, I'm not talking about the outside pressure now, but there's a lot of, we carry a lot of baggage because we've been doing it for so long. Mm. And I think there's a, you know, there's a, a desire within Marillion to not repeat ourselves. And so you tend to sort of try and you, you tend to want to leave certain things behind, whether it's a sound or a particular way of playing or a type of songwriting. So you're trying to constantly reinvent yourself within the confines of what you do. Um, so I think we, we tend to sort of rule out a lot of things that, that maybe, you know, outside of Marillion, I don't have that baggage. I don't care. And I think, you know, look at Pete transatlantic or, you know, I think, or, or Steve Rothery doing his, his, um, Steve Rothery band stuff. He's got these big long guitar solos. It would be hard to do all of those sorts of things within Marillion, I think, um, just because there's the five of us all want certain things out of the music. And it's like a Venn diagram. There's a certain area where we all cross over. Right. And that's, and that's yeah. where we meet, you know? Um, so I, it's, it's hard to explain. I just, I think there's a certain freedom that comes with, doing your own thing and is also being the being the, the Mark Kelly of Mark Kelly's marathon meant that I could just basically say to the rest of the guys now can you play that again or I don't like the way that sounds or you know, I wouldn't be as rude as that but you know what I mean I, I, I oh, that's that's good but can you can you do you know and I was the one that made the decisions about what stayed and what went you know whereas in Marillion that's much harder for any one of us to take control in that way you know Right. That's it. You have, uh, I mean, was the, the album is five tracks, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of really long ones. 2051 is, is a good 17 minutes or so. So anybody that is wanting their prog, it's definitely on, on here in that, in that regard. 
Yeah, and it's I think it's my favorite track on the album. It's it's it sort of starts off by telling this something of the story of Arthur C. Clarke and, and Stanley Kubrick and how they collaborated and then subsequently fell out over making of of 2001 the, the, the book and all the rest of it and but then it goes into this exploration of seti and what what would happen if we were to be contacted or if we if we made contact and and of course in the song the outcome's not so good it's the it takes the the stephen hawking point of view that if we we should stop sending message we should stop sending signals into outer space because we might not like what comes back it's a bit like <laughs> and there's a few references to that like the, the final part is called um, a, a brief history, which is obviously a reference to him, and then there's the Trail of Tears, which is a reference to what happened to the Native Americans when they came into contact with a civilization that was more advanced than them. You know, um, so you know, there's a. It's not really telling a story, but it's more of a, a sort of narrative about that whole thing. And I think the the whole space prog and science fiction and um, that type of genres definitely overlap and so again that was me just indulging myself i suppose yeah oh we should uh, ask you about the name of the group so i've seen on the album cover it says mark kelly's marathon mm -hmm. but in some places i've seen it as just marathon so so which is it and and what's the best way for people to find it we should let them know so it is the album is called mark kelly's marathon the okay. the band is just called marathon and the reason for that is because it's not really a solo album. It's a, it's a collaboration, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's a recognition of the contributions that the rest of the guys have made. And I said to them, you know, we should, this is a band. We, you know, the band has a separate identity from me. It's not, it's not just me. And so I, but I, I'm aware of the name recognition, certainly within the sort of prog rock genre that having my name on it will help people find it. So, that's why I said, well, why don't we just, we'll call the band Marathon and call the album Mark Kelly's Marathon. The second album can be called something else. Hopefully by then, the Marathon name will be well known enough. We'll have no trouble finding it. So that's the thing. If you look on the internet and even with things like Spotify, the first few weeks of it being available, you couldn't find Marathon. But if you do a search for Marathon now, it comes up in the list and it's, you know, and so, so as it becomes more known, it's, that's how this, the whole search thing works. So hopefully... If you can't find it, searching for Marathon, certainly search for Mark Kelly's Marathon, and I'm sure it'll pop up either on Amazon or Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. So. Great. Um, we should ask you what's going on in Marillion's world. Uh, I mean, I know you guys did the couch convention, which was a, a nice success, I think. Uh, it was fun, yeah. What's... Uh, anything coming up? I mean, I guess no one really knows what, what what's going to be in a year from now, but. Yeah, so we, we'd started work probably at the back end of last year, really. We've been doing some jamming on and off for the last couple of years. And, and then, but this year was, was always going to be our write the album year. And um, we had one thing booked, which was Cruise to the Edge back in April. And of course that got canceled, but we're lucky because we had nothing else. Normally we would be doing 20 or 30 shows a year, you know, but just, by coincidence, this year was no no shows, pretty much, and um, so so we we started working on the album. Then lockdown happened, and we stopped. I did the marathon album while that was happening, and then um, in after the summer break, we sort of broke from August. We we got back together, 
and we've been working together ever since. We, we, the Marillion Day, just, we sound a bit work shy, but it basically starts about 11 or 12 and finishes about three. Um, but we go to the studio and we will play around with the ideas that we've already come up with. So there'll be jams that we've had in the last two or three years and we'll revisit the best of those, which we've already selected. And try and develop them further. So it's, but that can be jamming on an idea that already exists. Um, but so a lot of those ideas have got words and, and Steve singing on them. And they'll, so they're sort of, some of them are recognizably song-like, you know, with verse parts, chorus parts, whatever, or certainly with music and singing. So they sound like songs, um, but the arrangements aren't really finalized. We haven't really decided whether it's going to be this music with that lyric or this other music with the same lyric, because there'll be sometimes there's three or four different versions of a song with different music with the same lyric. So um, over the next few months, we'll, we'll, we'll be narrowing that down to probably 15 or 20 things that will end up being the next album, which hopefully, if we manage to carry on working through the rest of the year and next year, we'll be, we'll be in a pretty good shape by spring and hopefully have it recorded by the summer good it's been a while snuck up on you that it's it's been four years <laughs> since right since fear i mean that's yeah. quickly <laughs> i can't believe it. I, mean, yeah. I can remember us being on t on stage probably more than a year ago now but and it used to make me feel a bit stranger and age would say oh this is a song of our new album i'm thinking this is weird <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you know it used to be some bands took Four years between records, and that was like a long time. But now that's fairly common. Is uh, it? I'm glad you said that. Makes me feel better. <laughs> because you know what, everybody, uh, well, good, you know, successful bands like yourselves can tour a while, which which is one thing. And then other other musicians take on five or six different projects and, and rotate those in and out. So um, yeah, it's sort of a different different uh, way of doing things. Yeah, well, we did do the the friends with uh, the friends from the orchestra thing. You know, we did all those things, and that was really good fun. Um, and it was probably us putting off the idea, the fact that we were going to have to make an, write another album. You know, um, just to give ourselves a bit of time. I, I think at, at this stage in our careers, it's not productive to make an album, do a tour, then make another album straight away. So it's good to have other things to do. Yeah. We did the the less is more thing a few years back. You know, just as a yeah. A, a diversion from from our normal routine um you know we're not under too much pressure these days to to churn albums out and i think it's right. it shows i mean we, we took four years between sounds that can't be made and fear and fear i think it was generally considered to be a really good album so um i think it it's yeah. all right cool so uh i guess what we're gonna do now is jump into the top five marillion songs which of course, it was super easy uh, to come up with five <laughs> songs out of the, you know, I don't know, 100 or whatever there were. Um, and uh, yeah, same same thing as always. Anybody that's heard these before, we're going to count them down five to one take in, in sort of a round robin style. And uh, Mark, uh, since you're our special guest, we'll let you go first. So what's your uh, number five uh, pick? Well, I should mention that, that you emailed me and said, oh, I need to come up with five songs and I shared them with you. So. And then when you said, oh, we forgot to mention, you're not supposed to share them. So <laughs> I went back and actually this afternoon, I was sat there checking through the catalog because there is a probably getting on for 200 songs. Yeah. Um, and I was checking through the catalog and thinking, okay, what, 
And let me think about this a bit more and I'll, I'll come up with another five. So I've actually oh, got very cool. Okay. I've actually got six written down here, so I haven't really quite made my mind up, but I'm going to say that my number, f number five, because I'm only allowed five. It's oh, so difficult. It really is difficult. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I, and I'm not it's harder when it's your own songs too. You know, we've, we put that pressure on some, some artists and they they really aren't happy about it. I'm, I'm not a fan of all of our songs, I have to say, and I think it's, it's certainly well known within the band, you know, that I, I'm quite vocal about the ones that I don't like, you know. So when I say that I like one, they're all like, oh, Mark likes it. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I'm going to have to leave one of these out. I'm going to decide which one to leave out, and it's going to be that one. Okay. The one I'm leaving out is Essence, by the way. Okay. From from um, the album that was yep. made, the one before. Signs <laughs> <So laughs> the game. I'm sorry. What did you say? No, it's not. It's, um, it's uh, happiness is the road. Yeah. Happiness, yes. Yes. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I think I'm turning into Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right, so my, my number five song is Gaza from yep. the Made album. It's a bit controversial, I know. There's a few people gave us a hard time about it. Um, but um, I think it's a I think it's it's a good song, it's got power and it's right. uh, and it's got some for me some really uplifting moments and, and, and some emotional moments that I really like. In, in writing something like that, that may, I, I don't know, did you expect at the time that it might be controversial when you're writing it? Or is there some trepidation, maybe putting something like that out or? H was almost against doing it because we had these, it was one of these ones, we, we, we were well on the way to, to finishing that album. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we were quite far down the road and there was this unfinished lyric really that was basically the Gaza lyric in bits and pieces that he hadn't been working on a, a, quite a lot, but not not to this point where it was finished. Right. And um, but it was a, lots of different bits of music where he'd sang bits of it, you know, lots of these jams. And but when you took them all together, you went, this this could be a somehow make this all work as one piece of music. This could be a great song. Um, and Mike Hunter, our producer, was said why don't we look at this you know and nature's like oh no 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 i don't want to do it <laughs> he's like I, I don't think i can do it because i'm really worried about saying the wrong thing i don't want to come across like some english guy commenting on a situation in 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 the middle east you know and, and you know from his armchair you know so he was really conscious of that and what persuaded him that it should do it was that he managed to get some um, some time talking with um, some Palestinians and some Israelis over, well, it was Skype in those days, but, um, but he literally spent hours talking to people, telling them what the lyrics were, checking with them that it was not completely stupid, you know, and, and you know, some of, the, some of the imagery that he had in there, like the, the, you know, the men playing cards around the fire and all this sort of thing, they said, yeah, it's, it's perfect. They, they were really, you know, on board, both the Palestinian guys and the Israeli guys that he spoke to. So he felt more confident that he was not being a jerk and saying something out of turn. It was meant to be 
you know, a lyric about children, humanity, not not a criticism of it was more that this situation is bad and and it shouldn't should people shouldn't have to live like that. Um, of course, some people took offense regardless, but there you go. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't I don't think it was an easy song for him to write lyrically, but musically I I really love the journey and there's some really really great moments in it for me. Nice. So, yeah, sound wise as well. I had some well, I thought there were some really cool keyboard things going on sound wise, which I was really pleased with. So. I think that whole album is one that this it's it sort of sounds I always and to me it always sounds slightly different than a lot of the rest of them you know I think there's there's probably well most of the albums but that one in particular for me it's, it's got probably a bit more experimentation and stuff like that in it maybe than than, yeah. than some other ones yeah I think it's yeah probably true yeah I always thought the album title was actually kind of a good album title Sounds that can't be made. Yeah, I sort of dug it. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's. Uh, is when it used to get cold when we came off stage and it was a bad gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, I guess it's one of those that you could set yourself up for a bad review, right? Although, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah we were clutching at straws. I remember we was we was <laughs> debating whether or not to call it that because it was basically just like holding yourself up as a target, really, for <laughs> wanted to have a cheap pop at you, you know. Right. Yeah. So what uh, are your choices for number five? Uh, well, oh, Jeff, uh, you go next. Well, I go next. Well, yeah. I, look, I'm like you in terms of I, I find it really hard to leave stuff out. So what I sometimes do to kind of start off is to pick the first time that I've encountered a band as my number five choice. So it's not necessarily my number five, but okay. the first time I heard Marillion um, was when I... Uh, taped uh garden party off the uk top 50 chart rundown so roy would know sunday sunday p.m around about five o'clock sat with the tape recorder and the pause button to uh to to record the songs that you couldn't afford to buy when you were 12 years old and yeah, i can remember at the yeah. at, at the time um i had just i'd i'd liked genesis but not like i'd liked the hit singles that i'd heard and you know back in the day you know serious bands didn't really do greatest hits so the closest you tended to be able to get was a was a live album and genesis three sides live had come out and it had like things like you know um slipper men and in the cage and stuff that didn't sound anything like misunderstanding but i can remember hearing the start of garden party and going oh that's that kind of what i now know the kind of moog type intro Mm. Um, and 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 really liked the song. So you know, for a long period of time, I knew it without the expletive, and was then shocked the first time. <laughs> it was the it was the radio. I'm I'm miming uh, version, and uh, uh, I'm rocking. I'm miming, and um, was then shocked when actually it turned out that one of my friends in school was a big fan and actually had the first single, um, had Market Square Heroes, and he had the album, and that's how we kind of got 
into the band. So right from right from there, I, I think you know it's a it's a good song. It's a great lyric. It's probably the rockiest sort of most upbeat song on on the first album, um, and you know it's got that. You know, someone. I, th- I think it's kind of there's maybe a, a signature Mark Kelly Moog solo right in the middle of it. Um, but that song actually, the band wrote that even before you were in the band, isn't that right? Yeah, it's funny you should say that because um, yeah, the the song existed before I joined the band. Although there wasn't a Moog solo in the original version, I, I yeah. that, that that is my sound ra- rather than the, the previous keyboard player. But but yeah, I think think Brian Jellyman gets gets enough credit really for his contribution to the writing of the early stuff, because he was, he was involved in the writing of the web. He knows, you know, sounds very different to how it was. Again, all the Moog stuff on that, he, that, that was all me, but um, certainly Garden Party, the, the, the Moog figure was his, and, uh, and Forgotten Sons, the, the, the Moog parts in that, and the, the structure of that was him and Steve, really. Um, but then, yeah, Script for Jester's Tear and Chelsea Mondays, and what else is on that album? Um, there's six songs, isn't there? Anyway, yeah. We wrote after I joined. But um but yeah, so yeah, very old song. Um but great lyric. I I agree. I think Fish did a he wrote some some really special lyrics. It's probably one of the first songs that I heard Merlion play actually when I went to see them before I joined. Oh really? <laughs> and how did how did you how did you you came you were playing in a band that supported them, is that right? Or they supported us actually yeah so okay. so um they they were our opening act but you know it sounds like we were playing somewhere decent it wasn't it was a small it was a pub it, it held a couple of hundred people i suppose it was like one of these sort of you have a lot more like those sort of places in the states you know like a, a big bar with with a stage but yeah it was that sort of thing um and we were the local you know the draw we we could fill the place because we were you know, a local band and Marillion were our opening act who had come from the other side of London. So they had no audience in this area. And, um, and that, it, was, it was our guitarist, the guitarist from the band I was in, that said, oh, you should watch, because he'd seen them before. He said, you should watch this band, you'll like them, because he knew what my musical taste was. And, and, and I did, I watched them and, and thought they were great. And then of course, after we played, Fish and Mick, the drummer came came up to me and says, "Are you interested in joining Marillion?" <laughs> what about your keyboard player? And Fish just went, "He's, he's <laughs> the old finger across the throat, you know." And I'm like, "Oh, that's a bit ruthless." I said, "I'll have a think about it." <laughs> but I went to see them again about a week later um, at another gig. So, and yeah, that one of the, the the songs that struck me the most were "Garden Party," "You Know You Know," and and Forgotten Sons, because they were playing all... Yeah, that's another one that they were playing, so... So, yeah. So I guess I'll jump in. Um, I should say that I'm I'm sort of an odd, 
person when it comes to the band's history. I'm I'm very like I knew Misplaced Childhood. I was very you know young when that came out, and living in the U.S. Obviously, Kaylee was was the song, but I and it was on MTV and a, a big MTV watcher like everybody else at that time, but wasn't aware of what the band was. The same thing with growing up, uh, learning about Genesis at that time. I had no idea there was a previous Genesis to the pop Genesis until, you know, I got a little older. Um, and then I sort of lost track of, of Marillion through many years here in the States. I don't, you know, I, I think that's fair to say it wasn't stuff that was on the radio and, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so later on, uh, when I started to discover what the band had done later and, and obviously with, with a new singer and, and all of that, then it was sort of a, a oh yeah, they, they sang that song that I knew from, you know, 15 years ago. So it's sort of like going back and then relearning a lot of the, the history of the band. So, um, so my, the tracks that stick out for me are not necessarily things that were popular with normal Marillion fans or things you played live or hits. I've no, I had no reference to any of that. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, we'll see see what my picks end up being here. But uh, so my number five is uh, I went with uh, Hooks in You from Season's End. And I think Jeff probably would imagine that might be something I would like. Um, and, uh, yep. you know, what's, what strikes me about that song and going back and listening to it is that uh, I don't think it's something it's not a sound that you guys do often. That Right. I mean, I think it, it's sort of almost like that 80s metal kind of Def Leppard sound a little bit, which which I'm a huge fan of anyway. But I think maybe that's why it sticks out for me. But I just love the the kind of upbeat drive and, and the sort of rocking out that you guys are doing on that, which which I, I think is uh, is just a real – and has a great hook in it. Um, it's a great, great track. It's, it's – yeah, I think it's funny because that's one of the areas of music that Marillion seem to shy away from. And it's almost like – we we do occasionally stumble upon things that are a bit like that, but we we it's hard it, it's hard to make those sort of things not sound naff, and I'm not even sure that we get away with it. Yeah, it's, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I get it. It's certainly of its time. It's got that, like you say, it's got that riff, and and then I'm with that keyboard, which is a bit like a sort of you know, um, I'd obviously heard "Jump" by Van Halen probably. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm I'm surprised that you would choose it. I think um, when Steve joined the band, um, it was one of those ones that we were we were you know really new to each other. So I think it was, there was a lot of desire to to just please each other and, and get on you know with, with working together, and making everything work. So. Steve played that guitar riff, Steve Rothery did the, you know, and then H went, oh, that's fantastic, let's do something with that. And it was, it was a, a John Helmer lyric that, um, and I think it wasn't even John's lyric, I think it was, there was one line from the lyric, which was something like, when the fear gets the hook in you. Mm. Um, and then from that, Steve wrote the rest, wrote the, the whole song around that hooks in you thing. So, um, I think the original lyric that John wrote had nothing to do with what what it ended up as. Right. He was pretty proud of that. He would literally not mind if if H 
took one line of his lyrics and threw the rest away and just wrote something around it. Or, or if he used three quarters of his lyric and just wrote his own bit to go with it, you know. So, um, but yeah, it's fun. It's one of those ones that's fun to play, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, that's what I like about it. It's sort of a... It's, it's a fun upbeat song. My, my memory my memory of it is again probably you know it being the first thing that we heard with for people who'd followed the band it was the first thing you heard with the new singer and wondering you know what it's going to sound like and you know it, it had that balance i think of being a little bit different but not you know yeah, jazz uh, funk yeah. or something you know right. <laughs> yeah i think i think we probably racked um brains and agonized over what was going to be the first thing we would put out as a yeah. as a band with age singing because you know a lot of people were going to judge us on that one song you know it's always tricky that when you're in a what's perceived to be a sort of more intellectual progressive rock and you know more serious music band that you do something that's a little bit less serious or a bit you know or the, you know the, the three and a half minute pop song and a lot of people will just go ah that's rubbish you know so when I put my marathon thing, I put out this song this time, which is a th the only three and a half minute song on the album. Yeah. And somebody posted on YouTube, instantly forgettable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like you, you have to, I mean, I, I, I love progressive rock and long complicated songs, but I also like pop songs, you know, I like ELO, I like, you know, whatever, something that's, you know, I think most people have, have got more broad yeah. taste than listening to Supper's Ready and Close to the Edge, you know, this, the, well, it's, it's, it's one of the common things that if you, if you, if you read most of Roy and my chats during the course of the week, you know, Roy's been uh, raving this week about Nick Kershaw and 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 his other Gary Barlow's his other <laughs> other guilty pleasure as well. I like a lot of these <laughs> you know, British type things. I heard, sure. I heard, <laughs> I heard that that track that you mentioned, and to me it sounded nearly like Squeeze was the first thing that kind of came into my head. Yeah, a lot. A few people have said that it's a bit of like a, a cross between Squeeze with a sort of Beatlish chorus. But um, but funnily enough, Nick Kershaw. When I first heard that his first single, we we, we were doing this TV program called Top of the Pops, which is like a um, a mimed you know like playback tv show with with a you know a studio audience they're all crammed together sure, yeah. there's, you know, there's about 50 people that they try and make them look like 5,000 <laughs> with the cameras over the top of their heads but they're all like herded together into a bunch you know in front of them <laughs> and Nick Kershaw was doing it and and it was I think it was his first single wouldn't it be good mm -hmm. and when it got to the solo I'm like Wow, this is actually quite proggy. This is really good, and the verse reminded me a bit of Peter Gabriel as well. So I'm thinking, yeah, yeah he's you know he's got something going on there. I, I, I like that song, and in fact, he sang on that the Expos album that I did um, with with Henry, the, the drummer from Marathon. Nick Kershaw sang a song on it as well. So there you go. 
Uh, he's one of these artists that comes up in so many different podcasts we do with, with Prague guys. It's been really bizarre. Um, but that's, it's cool. It's cool to, cool to hear. Uh, all right, let's, let's, uh, get on to your, uh, right. Your number four. Yeah. My number four is going to be Levers. Okay. The most recent album. Yeah. Great song. I think it's got a lot of good music in it. it might be might be a little bit on a little bit on the long side, but but I it's really you know from Marillion it moves along nicely at the beginning. It's got you know it's quite modern sounding to start with, but it's also got a lot of the the more interesting sonic stuff that we do. Um, it's got a typical Marillion big ending, which is which is the the all one tonight section at the end is 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 really reminds me a little bit strangely of the end of the musical box by genesis not because it sounds anything like it but it just has a similar vibe somehow um i don't know for me but anyway um it might be because of that repeating piano line which is a bit like the i, I don't know anyway um so yeah that's my it Go opens with a, it almost sounds like a musical box when it opens actually the very start of it doesn't it uh yeah possibly not the musical box a eh? sort of musical box yeah yeah it. yeah i think mike the producer was was um was trying to sort of evoke a balls of canada type vibe i think with the with the you know the, the whole yeah. repetitive sequence thing but um, yeah Where does that album sit for you in, in the catalog? Because, you know, it seemed to be received really, really well, critically, um, uh, really well. And uh, I, I really think the way you guys approached it from a concept, the, the you know, even the packaging, the presentation, the whole thing, it, it seemed very, uh, very thought out, very deliberate. Um, and I think seem to achieve what maybe you guys wanted out of that record. I'm very happy with it, and which the fact that I've chosen two tracks from it on in my top five um, says that really. Um, and it's been long enough now that it's not it's not like my favorite because it's our most recent because it's not that recent anymore. Right. We've played it a lot live. Um, you know, I've had time to get used to it. Um, but I think it sits, it's in terms of our career, the peaks and troughs of the career, I would say it's certainly one of the peaks and it's certainly the peak of the last, I'm going to say maybe the last 15 years at least. So um, I know we haven't made many albums in the last 15 years. <laughs> but you know, I would, you know, if I had to choose the, the peaks of our careers album wise, Misplaced Childhood would have to be one just because of the success of it and Brave because of the, the, how adventurous we were with that. Afraid of Sunlight was a surprise one for me, but I think it's 
up there with that. It's probably one of her best albums, even though it follows a very, you know, complicated, difficult album. And it felt like we were, to me, it felt like we were rushing it when we were making it. And I wasn't at all happy at the time. Looking back, I think it's definitely one of her best. And then after that, you've got like Marbles, I suppose. And then we're probably at um, Fear. I think that's, if I had to choose, I'll just that's, name five albums. Yeah, that, that's probably the that's five. five. That's, that's pretty, yeah, yeah. it's a solid, uh, <laughs> it's a solid five. Um, uh, Jeff, you want to jump in? You're number four? Yeah, well, I can I can make this a very quick one because then I can prove it from my piece of paper because number four on my list was the levers as well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there you <laughs> <Nice>. go. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, definitely, definitely for me, it was the the standout track on on Fear, and I think particularly um, I love the Royal Albert Hall, the DVD, uh, the the version of it in there was one of those moments, and I suppose. Uh, I was thinking about it, putting it together and going, you know, it was a, a song about life on the road and remember, you know, remember that. <laughs> I suppose when I was listening to it recently, I was going, it's kind of a, it's a hymn to the memory of, of, of live shows that most of us uh, who attend them, you know, uh, really miss. And again, just you know, the, the notes I'd scribbled down are essentially the same things that you've said. I love that the vapor trails part the kind of big majestic melody that's in there and then the electronic sort of parts that come in after that and then the the grand finale and again you know roy and i uh you know met through concerts and i suppose there's a there's a group of friends that i have who sort of share that you know joy of the ritual of being at a show um, and, and that that kind of is where that that song sort of hits with me and clearly clearly with the fan base too yeah i mean for me uh, this whole coronavirus thing uh what one of the top things i miss is going to concerts i mean it was uh i could go to four or five a month e you know easily and uh yeah that's, that's been the worst you know yeah I, I have to say i don't i don't go to c bands that often but i i'm missing it and i there was a time when i would think you know, I probably wouldn't mind if I didn't play another live show. I wasn't that bothered about playing live. Um, but recently, I've become more into it, <laughs> enjoying it more. And then now we've had like a whole year and not been able to play. And it's probably going to be another whole year before we get to play, um, if we're lucky. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's just, you know, it's just miserable. Yeah, yeah, it's a real bummer. And there's a few bands that I've been looking forward to seeing that shows have been cancelled. And so, yeah, it's, it's hopefully things will return to something like it used to be at some point. Yeah. I read, I read a, an interview this week with, you know, Paul McCartney and he said something like, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I might've actually played my last gig, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's possible, you know, or certainly, in terms of the way I've been doing it for the last 10 or 15 years in stadiums and stuff like that, you know, I'm sort of getting on a bit, you know, and who knows when we'll you actually get know. to the point, yeah, whether I mean, I'm, whether I'm still able to do it. And you sort of go, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's grim. I mean, it's, and I feel, I do feel a bit sad for Paul McCartney because he, his voice isn't anywhere near what it used to be, but that's just, it has to happen, doesn't it? You know? You know, it's it's just when really. It's still a great yeah. show. <laughs> well, maybe maybe 
maybe that's the thing I'm thinking is that this is going to come to an end at some point. So then you start to think, oh my God, I, I don't really want this to end. I want to be able to do it for, for a bit longer, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So I'll jump in. My number five uh, is not the levers. Uh, I wanted to definitely pick something from Miss Place Childhood uh, and not be too predictable with it. Um, and I like uh, albums with, uh, uh, you know, especially a concept albums and things like that that have the big uh, climax ending songs. Uh, and, and if the ending songs are good, that's even better. I really love that. So I went with uh, Childhood en- Childhood's End uh, into White Feather, that whole, that, those two songs together, uh, which I think they are basically attached. Uh, and uh, yeah, that other one, I think that, that goes towards the uh, kind of upbeat nature of, of that album. And I think it brings the whole thing to a nice, uh, nice kind of ending. There's some great musical elements in there that I, that I really like. Um, so, and I, I, you know, another classic album. I mean, that's, that's one you have to, you have to have included on something like this, I think. So that's what I went with. Oh, well, that's, I'm glad you chose that. Cause, cause I was, I always wondered if it was at the time, if that was a bit weak, uh, you know, cause we, we felt like the first half of Miss Play Childhood, which we wrote first, was a really strong thing. And then, you know, the, I, I don't know what you think, but I thought that whole espresso bongo bit was a bit, not so good and then there was a, a linking section that was literally came up with on the, as a spur of the moment thing because we had to have something and then it gets and then it gets better but then towards the end we were fish didn't have any lyrics for for that childhood's end piece of music until very close to the end of the album and i remember um the guy from the record company saying well can't you turn that bit into a single because he listened to the album and didn't like anything <laughs> You thought maybe that, that bit could be a single if you write some proper single lyrics for it. Um, didn't record, didn't notice Kaylee at all. Like it was wow. like all lavender because they were just part of this continuous thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was his What was his job again? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and then he he liked Lady Nina though. He wanted to put that on the album. <laughs> and so so yeah. But I, the 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 linking section between Childhood's End and White Feather, the da 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 da. Pete wrote that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. That yeah, was, that part's great. Yeah. yeah. I always like that. Uh, I mean, is is it something? I suppose this is an it some something I always wonder about. But you, you as an artist must have very specific, you know. When people talk about misplaced childhood, it must take you to that time or that period or the things that were good or the things that were bad, you know, and it's very easy for, you know, on our website, you know, we'll do polls of great albums and it appears in there and, you know, it's kind of regarded as, you know, one of the classic prog albums, but presumably at the time you were making it, you know, you, you know, you, you weren't sitting thinking, 30 years from now, people will be saying this was a really great album. Is that kind of hard to sort of all piece together after this much time? Well, it does. It definitely does take you back to certain things. Like when we started talking about it and you mentioned Childhood's End and, and White Feather, my immediate memory was of, of being in Hansa Studios in Berlin after being out for dinner, after everybody getting completely drunk and Fish persuading Pete to sing backing vocals on White Feather 
and writing the words through, but he just made them up. It was like, instead of the, you know, the Jerusalem children, he put railway children and, you know, all sorts of stupid lines and got Pete to sing them. Um, <laughs> he was drunk enough that he, he, he had an attempt, you know, and, um, and, and Ian crashing about with the tambourine. So there was, so <laughs> I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> no, I, I've heard that a lot. There's, there's been some times where you ask an artist, uh, you know, as a fan listening, you pick out certain, you know, 30 second pieces of music or something that are like, as a listener, brilliant, you know, and you're, you're blown away by it. And it's something that sticks with you. And then you ask the artist, how did you come up with that or whatever? And, and a lot of times like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what we were doing when we did that. Yeah, no, that actually, no, we, when we were actually working, we're working and, and we're not drunk, but, but it was just like a, you know, it seemed to be a fairly regular thing in Berlin where we'd go out for dinner and then go back and, and just have some fun, really. It wasn't really a serious attempt to record anything. I'm not sure that anything good came of those late night sessions. It was more just a, something to do after you'd been to a, a restaurant and had a few bottles of wine. But... Um, but yeah, this, there are there have been times where where we've we've um, we've purposely said let's have a few drinks and then have a jam and just see what happens and sometimes good things happen. Yeah, but... good things come. And it was morning, and I found myself mourning for a childhood that I thought I'd disappear. I looked out the window and I saw a All right, you know what we uh yeah we got to pick up the pace here. We're gonna have you here for three oh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to your number three. We can do some editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's uh what's your number three? My number three is um, El Dorado. Okay, another one. Another one from that. Yeah. Uh, I won't say too much about it. Um, actually, it's one of my keyboard wise. I'm. Very pleased with how it turned out. Some lot, you know, some really nice sounds and and parts that I'm very happy with. Um, I'm glad it, that we did that song. Um, I mean, I came up with quite a lot of the music for this album, so I was I was pleased how it, you know, it, it was um, interpreted by the band. And so yeah, that one gets my vote for number three. Not too much to say on that. The gold stops And uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about that album. So, um, you want to jump in with uh, with your number three, Jeff? Yeah. Okay. Um, my number three. Yeah. At the risk of well, it is the prog report. At the risk of picking two twenty-minute epics in a row, 
That's, it's, that's, I did required to pick 20 minute epics. But, but yeah, number three, this is this strange engine. And um, I think that probably the, the, uh, number one, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great song. You know, it's obviously the great story about H's father and his life and, uh, you know, different incidents musically. Um, another great Moog solo. Again, that's not just the reason I don't just pick the ones with the great <laughs> Moog solo because you're here. Um, but I love that and how it goes into the saxophone solo and the guitar solo. Um, and again, that was quite an adventurous album. There was more acoustic-y stuff on it. And I suppose coming out of, um, you know, coming out of the, um, Afraid of Sunlight, you know, it was an album that sounded very different. That was probably the period of time as well where I think probably the whole um, Merillion were probably a band that I felt you actually you know, before the internet, you actually got a really good chance to kind of, you felt like you were sort of connected. The fan base was quite sort of joined up. And um, yeah, you know, it, obviously then the crowdfunding stuff happened and all that, you know, came off the back of it. Um, but but that song in particular is 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 one that I just, um, is, is a real standout for me. And again, the ending, that this love part of the ending where Steve kind of just really, goes for it on that. I think it's just an absolute was in my my top five it might have even been my number one on my last list for some reason that's the one i remembered from your previous list yeah yeah and it got left off completely i don't know why okay so i have to say that is it allowed that i can swap that back back in for your list you can do whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) because i really would want to leave that one out and for all the reasons you just said and and steve rotherick's guitar solo it is one of the best things he's ever played i think so that's my opinion um yeah that's a great yeah, song. I really like that song. It's great fun to play. I never get bored of playing that live. Another big, uh, another big epic. Yeah, as we're as we're known to do. Um, all right, I'll go ahead and jump in. And um, with my number three, I'm going with uh, to uh, clutching at straws and incommunicado. Yeah. And uh, there's some good keyboard yeah. moments for you on that one too. I think so. That's a that's a good one there. It was fun, yeah. That was fun to do. Um, yeah, it was always a good, good, good song to play live. Yeah. Another good kind of uh, so uh, that title uh, does that come from? Is something like that come from the lyrics, or maybe that you? That's a. It seems like a word you might have come up with somewhere, and then you write something around that. And that's that's one to ask fish. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> the story goes, and I don't. I think it may actually be true that he pretty much came up with that lyric as he was in a taxi on the way to the studio to record the vocal. I, I wouldn't say he came up with the lyric. He probably finished writing the lyric. He probably already had written some yeah, of it. Right. But yeah, he was well known for that. And you know, the early misplaced childhood stuff. We played some gigs, and they were recorded. There's a bootleg around the misplaced childhood from 19 December '84, mm-hmm. and the lyrics of Kaylee almost completely different 
And so, you know, he, he used to change them up until the last minute. It was different in those days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Incommunicado. That's always, that, that was always great fun to play live. We don't do it so much these days, but, but when yeah. we do it. Yeah, I've heard, uh, heard some live versions of that one. That sounded really good. Take to the bunker of a wedding limousine. Currently residing in the where and now to be in the cavalry scene. Let's move on then. Uh, your number two, Mark. My number two is going to be Invisible Man from the song, yeah. Marvel's album. I mean, song from the Marvel's album. I was, um, I think that's, um, yeah, that's it. I've chosen that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think I think the question for for me on that one, and Jeff, maybe you want to jump in on this. Uh, is for me that song had a completely different effect once I when I saw it live. And the first time I saw you guys play live was actually on Cruise to the Edge, meant uh, a few years ago. On, on mm. and uh, it was just like it's like watching Steve get possessed or something during that song. It's like an amazing. Did we have the video? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I nearly mentioned that because it works really well live with that. Yeah, video. the whole thing. It's such a cool presentation, and he's so into like he's not just singing the song. You know, it's it's like really intense. I think oh it's yeah, amazing. He, he he takes on this persona and puts on the the glasses and gets the cane and and he's you know he's yeah he has to dress up in the suit and all that. But yeah. I think that's just to get him in the right the right frame of mind to perform it. And and um, you know he's it's like a it's like a you know, doing an acting thing, really, isn't it? I mean, I can remember him telling me off for talking to to one of the, one of the crew when he was doing something really intense, and he, he heard my voice. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, "Can you please not do that during the show?" I'm like, <laughs> "Getting me out of my zone." Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. You've said about that. I mean, I remember um, that Marbles album came out, and I pre-ordered and did, did all that stuff my name's in the booklet and all that kind of stuff and that song when i first listened to it i just didn't get it and i really kind of yeah wasn't sure but then like, you actually that was one of the you did actually play in belfast um in, in a really tiny place called the empire music theater which is a stage that probably can't really even hold a five-piece band but you managed to crack on there I was, I was at, because the stage was so small, I was like set up down the front, wasn't I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me being down the front, why can't I be here all the time? <laughs> it was tiny. I think, I mean, I yeah. think the stage is so small to call it the front is really, <laughs> there's not really a front and the back, there's just a couple, a couple of boards, but absolutely seeing, and, and this so often happens with me, stuff that when you listen to it, you kind of go, okay, and you see it live and you see it properly performed and you go, okay, right. I, yeah, I get it now. Um, and I definitely, yeah. I definitely, one of those moments from them. Yeah. 
All right, Jeff, you're number two. Okay, me number two. I, I mean, I, again, I, I said at the start, but there are so many albums that I like that you know that I that I haven't covered. But um, I, again, I've, I wanted to put something from misplaced childhood in, and I suppose for me, you know, I, I don't want to sound like kind of you know whatever, but it was really exciting when lots of people started to listen to Marillion because we'd listened to them for a few years beforehand. And we sort of felt quite, you know, elite when people started to know them. And I can remember, uh, you know, being on a, it was a camp thing. We went in the summer and having misplaced childhood on cassette and, you know, Oh, you've, you've, you've got their album, you know? Oh yeah. We've liked them for years, you know, type (laughs) thing when you were 14 or whatever. Um, the bit that I picked, and I don't know, it was interesting when you you were describing the album there, Mark. But the bit that I picked um, was "Blind Curve," so the the bit that is probably about five songs in, in in into one. And I don't know whether that was one of the bits that you referred to when you were saying about trying to fill up the second half. But I absolutely love. There's so many moments in that kind of sequence um, that I that I really uh, you know really really like the guitar solo and um the passing strangers bit which then the keyboard comes in that bit the harmony it's great um the the milo part that's very you know emotional and then the kind of perimeter walk the darker part and the big kind of i can't take any more type ending i think that's like it's like a kind of a it's like an abbey road side too it's like five bits you know that all work brilliantly together yeah, and I think I, I like all that stuff, all those sections. Yeah, the, the bit we called the War Widow section was was always good fun. I remember um, we did a gig once and, and, and Fish, we got to that uh, the perimeter walk bit and there was something weird happened and Fish couldn't, for some reason, couldn't figure out. Oh, no, that was it. Ian, instead of, instead of going, doom, 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 you know, it goes wasted, never been so wasted. <laughs> and so something happened and Ian was like, doom, doom. Dum dum like this, <laughs> and, it, and in, the end, in the end, he sort of goes, "Help, Privet!" The sound engineer is called Privet, and he's like, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> he couldn't find <laughs> help, Privet. <laughs> in a place in, in France at the time, Clermont Ferrand. It was, it was one of. So that's the thing. I I remember all the all the gigs where things go horribly wrong, rather than right. Really. I imagine that's the case. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't choose um, anything from the Fish era. It was. It's hard because we've had four albums with Fish, and then another fourteen or fifteen with Age. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's. It wasn't meant as a. As a, you know, I'm disowning the the the, the past or the the, the Fishes because I'm not at all. But, um, that's the headline. Some some other website will say Mark Kelly hates the Fish era. For, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, I'll go ahead and do my number two. Um, 
and yeah, this, I mean, this song obviously is my number two, but it's, it's, it's one I really, really always uh, liked a lot. And it's uh, Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury. And uh, love just the, the chorus and the hook in it um, just really gets stuck with you. I mean, it's just something you can, I always remember. And I, that whole album's amazing, but um, that's the track that always stood out to me uh, as just really, really memorable. And the whole vibe of it, the whole, the whole thing, I just think it's great. And, and again, that album is, is just one of my favorites. There you go. There's a clue. Yep. Uh, well, well, all right. Let's let's get to your number one track then. So um, my my top track, and it's it's that nostalgia thing. It was a time when we were, you know, really felt like we were sort of up against it, and we we were doing our our own thing, and nobody was going to tell us what to do. You know, we'd we'd done holidays in Eden, and felt like we'd been pushed around a bit by the record company, and now it was like we're just going to make what we the album we want to make it was like misplaced childhood it was the same attitude we had then we were being asked to try and write singles and you know uh, we didn't realize that we were in danger of being dropped by the record label before misplaced childhood and we were in danger of being dropped by the record label after brave and in fact we only made one more album before we did get dropped but um but that album i think brave was a very was a defining album for us because it, it sort of we set out our stall we were like this is where this is the direction we're heading in now we're, you know, we're not going to be making any more, you know, albums with, but, you know, like, Cover My Eyes, Dry Land, and, and No One Can, they're all, you know, crafted, nicely crafted songs, but, but the, you know, it felt like it was a little bit of a lightweight album because of those songs. And we were asked to make three singles, you know, that was the, that was the, the, the demand from the label. And so... Uh, but anyway, we got to Brave, and um, and the, the the highlight of that album for me is the Great Escape. Well, the Great Escape into Falling from the Moon. So that whole end section. Yeah, um, that's awesome too. Yeah, I think it I think it sums up what Meridian's about really. And I love the orchestration stuff that Daryl Way did on it. Um, and it's just a really nice. In fact, it's a precursor to what we ended up doing you know, many years later with the friends from the orchestra, because it wasn't an orchestra, it was just a, a cello, a violin and a, a flute, you know, and, and that's pretty much what we what we used when we did the Royal Albert Hall. So it's a nice, nice combination.
Blue Brave is it's weird if you break it down into separate songs, none of them are that work that well on their own. Yeah. They're not. I think as an album, it's it, it's brilliant. It's great. It, the whole thing hangs together, and you listen to it in one go, and it it, it it it's a story. But you take you can take certain bits of it and go, this doesn't really stand up on its own. You know, now wash your hands, or yeah. um, you know, there's like lots of these little sections. You know that the slide or you know, yeah the but together it's it's a it's a journey that's a, which i really like yeah uh okay those are great so that's a good top five from you man appreciate that let's 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 round it out here uh jeff what's your number one yeah my my number one list has so many cross outs that <laughs> you know and there are so many songs that i could have put in there and you know i've got written down not that I necessarily liked any of the other ones more than these, but, you know, Great Escape definitely could have been there. Sugar Mice could have been there. Easter could have been there. Um, you know, I can't believe I love Brave. Recently revisited the whole 5.1 version of it and just absolutely love that kind of immersive thing. But um, number one, I've picked King from Afraid of Sunlight. Um Again, obviously, the kind of the, um, you know, the, the, I think it says it was inspired by kind of Kurt Cobain, Elvis, John Lennon, those kind of sort of fallen heroes. Um, love the, you know, the whole thing, that section about, you know, the fire in your belly, you know, and probably something that probably most musicians, you know, when it, when's it real? When are you, when are you faking it, you know? I think one of the brilliant things about Marillion is that, you know, you've pretty much resolutely made, you know, the music that you wanted to. Um, and, you know, that's, that's one of the things I like about the band is that, that you know, you've, 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 you've stuck to your thing, you know, and you make music in your way, in your terms, and bring, bring the fans along with you. And then that just massive, um, you know, day in the life, cacophony ending and then the the snare at the end that kind of sort of gunshot whatever it is just a brilliant brilliantly you know it's you know it's music more than music it's the drama it's the character it's all of that stuff which is just for me you know what the type of music that I really really hardcore fans i mean they this fan base that marillion has built over you know the decades is is as strong a fan base as i think you'll see and especially in progressive rock and they you know they they fight for you guys online and i mean it's 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 pretty powerful stuff it is very and uh, i think that couch convention that we did a few months back was a was a good example of that where you know the idea of everybody sitting at home in their COVID lockdowns, 
getting in on and, and going online and watching a Marillion show on YouTube and, and then everybody communicating with each other and the, yeah. the, all, the, all the stuff that we did was, it was like so many people got into it and there was like people dressing up in costumes. We had a dog show. There was a, you know, Steve Rother be doing his cocktail hour and, yeah. you know, it was, it, it was actually really, you just felt the, the love, you know, and, and the warmth from people and the, the enthusiasm, um, which even though we weren't, weren't together, everybody was separate. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So it was, yeah. Very it cool, was, yeah. but yeah, we have got some amazing fans. Um, it's, why we're still here so yeah all right so i'm going to close it out with my number one uh track and uh i think it's uh you know according to prog magazine and, and all that considered uh at the top so i'm, I'm going with neverland uh, from marbles um which you know i think maybe it wouldn't be a surprise to have it on a list like this but um yeah, man, listen, that's just as epic as the band does, right? It's 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 right up there. It's it's big. It's it's a long track. It's got the emotion. Um, to me, it's just it's Marillion right right at everything you guys do uh, well in that song. Yeah, I think we we knew we had something when we just had the very beginnings of it. We 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 were like we called it the amazing chords or something like that. It was just that the, the verse and the the bit that Steve was singing and and we and it's been in the live set ever since we wrote it until a few years ago where we thought we're gonna have to give this one a rest because we've played it so much and it always goes down brilliantly and it's it's a it's a really nice song to play but we decided to retire it for a few years but it, the next time we go out on the road I'm sure it'll be back in the set because it's been probably four or five years since we played it regularly um, but yeah it, it was almost in my top five it was like yeah, but, so I'm glad somebody chose it. Yeah, no, right on. That's a, yeah, that's an amazing song. Did did we choose any song? You, you mentioned at the start about songs that you hate. I was going. I hope I haven't chosen any, but I assume we didn't choose any. I know. I think <laughs> or, I might have. You just are you just being nice? <laughs> no, you surprised me with your choices, right? I, I was like, uh, like hooks in. That's what I do, man. I you know we've we've had an, a. A bunch of these top fives. We we always like to say that we did uh, we did a queen top five, and no one picked Bohemian Rhapsody. So we we definitely go off the board when we do these things. But yeah, okay, nobody picked Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, just it's been done to death, hasn't it? Just, that's right. Yeah, no, that's yeah. it. That's sort of where where we go. You know. Yeah. Obviously, but, uh, obviously, it's their be it's the best Queen song, but no one needs us to tell them that. We'll 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 yeah. talk about other things. The, one, the Marillion songs I don't like are things like Most Toys and um, Whatever Is Wrong With You. And, you know, this, it's, it's that sort of approach that, you know, and it's nothing to do with the lack of decent keyboard parts. It's just, it's just, they just seem a bit too disposable to me, you know, um, as both musically and lyrically. So it's not like there's anything going for them, for me. But, yeah. but those, you know, the more up-tempo stuff, certainly has its place in the in the live set. And it's something we're more conscious of these days that we can't just do an album of slow down stuff because when you get on stage, it's like, we don't want to put the audience to sleep, you know? Sure. We do we do a lot of slow 4-4, four, four, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, man. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it's prog, you know. It's it's got to it's got to take its time. It's got to develop. Cool. That's that's prog music right there. Um, well, listen, man. Again, thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, your time to do this. And uh, again, the uh, the album Mark Kelly's Marathon, November twenty seventh. Uh, it's out there. The single Amelia, and I guess you just had the video out for this time, right? So those are out yeah. there for people to check out on YouTube and Spotify and all that. Don't and, be put uh, off by the fact that I'm using one keyboard in the video. It's playback, okay? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, only one keyboard. Something must be wrong with this. You Rubbish. Know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, man. Thank you again, and good luck with the uh, with the record. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. And see you uh, hopefully on the next cruise to the edge, and you know, ten years from now. It was fun. Thanks. <laughs> The, the top five of it and uh, yeah see you soon all right man be safe thanks out there. very Thank much you.